1 Peter chapter 1. We begin a new series today in the book of 1 Peter. I'm going to skip the first uh, two verses. We're going to save that for Trinity Sunday coming in a few weeks. A very Trinitarian text. We'll pick up here today in verse 3, 3 through 5. The title of this sermon is New Birth Through Christ's Resurrection. Please listen as I read the text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray. O Lord God, our loving and gracious Heavenly Father, what great things you've done for us, your people. Our lives were being battered about like a toy boat on the great crashing waves of the ocean. We had no stability and were subject to every pressure and attraction and evil and philosophy that came our way. But then you shined upon us with your eye of love Jesus, you came into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. The morning star arose in our souls. The blindfolds were removed from our eyes. And we could see. We could see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, our Savior. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, encourage us and instruct us today. We pray in your blessed name. Amen. Amen. You and I are very dependent people. We depend on others to grow and harvest the food on our table. Uh, when we get on an airplane, we depend on the skill and alertness of the pilots to steer us to our destination. When we get out on the highway, we're not only dependent upon our own alertness, but on the alertness and skill of the drivers around us. Should we or they fail, disaster may happen. Well, this is the way our human existence has always been. Adam in the garden was not dependent on the chance collision of atoms and genetic mutations over millions of years to evolve him into a full, a full human creature. No, he was dependent upon the creative voice of God to speak him into existence on the sixth day of creation week. He had no existence until God spoke him into being absolutely dependent upon the eternal God. Everything that happens in life is dependent on something else, something that caused it to happen. The wheel was invented about 3,500 years before Christ. And the wheel made possible wagons and then automobiles. The invention of the printing press and the 
1400s made possible the Reformation in the church in the early 1500s as Martin Luther's 95 Theses were published and sent throughout Europe. In the early 1950s here in America, after thousands of people had died from polio, a successful vaccine was uh, created by Jonas Salk and uh, began being administered about 1955. By 1957, the annual cases of deaths dropped from 58,000 to 5,600. And four years later, 1961, there are only 161 cases of polio in America. Dramatic. This medical breakthrough caused fantastic results among our population. But I want us to consider today another breakthrough that has blessed humanity immeasurably. It's an event that has caused other events. One thing led to another, and that event is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That event had far-reaching ramifications for millions of people throughout the ages. It was truly the cosmic event of all events because, for one thing, it enabled the phenomenon known as the new birth to take place in the lives of God's people. Had Christ not risen from the dead, there would have been no possibility of anyone experiencing the new birth. But what is the new birth? It is a spiritual experience which Jesus talked about when that religious leader of the nation, Nicodemus, came to talk to him at night. And uh, Elisha read for us from chapter 3 of John where Nicodemus comes and begins to compliment Jesus and Jesus quickly tells him, Nicodemus, you'll never see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And he doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. What do you mean, Jesus? I have to go back in my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus basically says, you must be born of the Holy Spirit. Well, here's Nicodemus, a very high-ranking religious leader in the nation, highly respected. The epitome of the Jewish religion. But Jesus tells him, unless you are born again, Nicodemus, you're never going to see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus explains to him that even as he was born physically, he needs to be born spiritually. In other words, the Spirit of God needs to enter his life and produce a spiritual birth in him. Well, good religious works, which Nicodemus had many of them, cannot save a person from our sins. Only a work of God within the human heart can cleanse it of sin and renew it and make it acceptable to God. The scripture says here, He has caused us to be born again. God has caused us to be born again. The work of the Holy Spirit is an invisible work, but it is a necessary work. In order to bring a person out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, 
out of the domain of Satan's rulership into the rulership of Jesus Christ. Even Nicodemus, one of the most holy men in Israel at that time, had to have the new birth or he'd never enter the kingdom of God. Now, if we were to rate people on their religious works, Nicodemus would get a high standing. We have the highest measure 100 and the lowest one. He might have gotten, we'll say, an 88. Maybe the average Jew of his day might have got about a 52. But everybody failed to reach 100. Only one person has ever reached 100 in human history, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So for a person to enter the kingdom of God, some other route has to happen besides their own righteousness. Well, a route was found. When God the Father sent His own Son from His side, from His bosom, to come to earth, to take upon Himself our human nature, to die a human's death, and rise from the dead on the third day, thereby defeating death, loosing Satan's grip on humanity, and opening the way of eternal life through Christ's resurrection from the dead. So, here's the main idea that I want to get across today in this sermon, and it's this, that the new birth of believers is dependent on Christ's resurrection from the dead. Mm-hmm. Had Christ not risen, nobody would be born again. Yeah. We'd all still be in our sins. So let's look at our text today and see what it's teaching us. I want to zero in on only one verse, verse 3. In verse 3, we see, first of all, that God the Father is the cause of our new birth. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Well, this is a very interesting text here. Actually, two persons are mentioned. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God is described by two names, God and Father. He's both God and Father. Well, who's he the God and Father of? The text says he's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are immediately plunged into the the mystery of considering and thinking about God's being. Within himself, God is not just one person but according to this verse alone he's two persons he's God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ now by designating Jesus Christ as Lord the New Testament is assigning to him a divine title that belongs to God Lord is the name of Yahweh in the Old Testament Translated Lord with all capitals in most of our English translations where Yahweh is found in the Old Testament. So the personal name of God is Yahweh or translated Lord is used thousands of times in the Old Testament to speak of the eternal creator God and this same word is used to describe Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ To put it in summary form, is Yahweh who has come in the flesh 
the Lord God of the Old Testament who's come in the flesh to save his people from their sins. Well, within the triune being of God, there is an eternal relationship. There's God the Father, we call him the first person of the Trinity, and God the Son, we designate the second person of the Trinity. And this is an eternal relationship. There never was a time when the Father was absent from the fellowship of the Son, nor the Son absent from the fellowship and presence of the Father. They were both equal in eternality and divinity. Although the Spirit is not mentioned specifically in this text, He also, we learn from other texts, was present with the Father and the Son in all eternity. So, as we look at the revelation of the Bible, especially here in the New Testament, we learn that within the being of the one God, there are three divine persons who've always existed together in fellowship with one another. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All equal in power, glory, and dominion, and worthy of our worship and service. So as Peter begins this letter, he's so soaked in Trinitarian theology that it just oozes out of his writing. And that's the way it is with Paul also. He cannot help but write about a God who from a Trinitarian standpoint has revealed himself to humanity supremely through his Son. And Peter knew this well because he had walked and talked with Jesus Christ for three years. And he, more than many others, had had a face-to-face encounter with the risen Christ when Jesus came to him on resurrection day, we don't have the conversation recorded, but we surmise that he restored Peter, forgave him, because of his three-time denial of Jesus. He needed a special visit from Christ. He was so heartbroken about his denial of knowing the Lord. Well... <clears throat> You see, it was the presence of the Son of God on earth, the one who Peter walked with for three years, the presence of the Lord Jesus that began to move the church and the realization, the more clear realization, that the Lord, eternal God, is Trinity. He's triune in his nature. It's hinted at in the Old Testament but made clear in the New Testament. Well... As the church meditated upon the revelations in Scripture, she wrote down in writing what was a summary of the biblical teaching of the nature of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Just reading you a couple paragraphs from the Nicene Creed, which we believe and sometimes confess in our service says this, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and visible. We believe this. And then it says, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, 
begotten from the Father before all ages. He existed with the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. This is how Jesus is described. He's God from God. He's light from light. He's true God from true God. Another translation of the Nicene Creed says, very God, very God. There's no doubt. Jesus is divine. And in verse 3, Peter writes, Blessed be, praise be, glory be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is Peter exhorting the readers, exhorting us to bless the God and Father? Well, he goes on, he says this, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. So what's the motivating force here of God's action in causing us to be born again? It is his great mercy. His great mercy. It does not say according to his great justice he's caused us to be born again. Because if God treated us with strict justice he would condemn us for our sins which is what we deserve. The soul that sins shall die, says the scriptures, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We humans do not need justice from God. We need mercy from God. What is mercy? It is God's undeserved favor, his gift of salvation to sinners who deserve wrath and punishment. But instead of Giving us what we deserve, he gives us something else. He grants to us justification, forgiveness, because of his mercy, because of his love. He was willing to do something radical in order to bring sinners to himself. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says, He saved us not because of works, done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit when God works within a human being a lot of things are happening invisibly in the human heart as God works to bring about regeneration that's life which is enables a sinner to repent of his or her sins and to place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our own merits will never qualify us to come into God's presence. We only have sins. But God is a merciful God. He makes the way for us through the death and resurrection of His Son so that we can be qualified by his gracious work to enter his fellowship. Jesus spilt blood on the cross is the work of our Savior that qualifies us to come to God. If God were only just, he'd send the whole human race to hell. But he's not only just, which he surely is, but he's merciful. Now Peter understood this. He understood the revelation of God in the Old Testament. And he understood 
that it's the mercy of God that causes his people to be born again through the resurrection of Christ. Now, in all the religions of the world, there's no other religion in the gods of the nations who can compare with Yahweh because none of these other gods are as holy and righteous as the God of the Bible. Neither do they have a concept of how sinful humans are. Christianity needs a merciful God because of the sinfulness of humanity. Without mercy, there's no help. But mercy is one of the fundamental attributes of God. God revealed his attributes, some of his fundamental attributes, to Moses on the mountain that day in Exodus 34. And the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed his name, saying, Exodus 34, 6, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So, actually, here, in this text, the first attribute that's mentioned is mercy. A God merciful and gracious. Oh, how thankful Peter was that day when the risen Lord came to him and restored him in mercy and forgave him. Well, the second related truth here in this text is that Not only is God merciful, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ secured our new birth. The text says he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When God raised his son from the dead, that indicated a lot of things had been happening. Christ's sacrifice for sin was accepted. A great cosmic transaction took place on Calvary's cross. The text says, For our sake he that is God made him, that is Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was a substitute for us. He took the punishment that we deserved. Our debt to God was paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the hindrances that kept us from coming into the presence of God, from being born again, were removed. The resurrection of Jesus Christ paved the way for the ascension of Christ back to the Father's right hand. It paved the way for the outpouring of the Spirit from heaven, Christ's resurrection paved the way for Christ's high priestly ministry, which he exercises at this very moment, and Christ's resurrection, and all that is connected to it, provides us with a living Savior who daily fellowships with us and ministers his grace to his people. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, this is no 
small promise that Jesus can be with us to the very end of the age. Always, no matter what our situation in life. The resurrection of Christ paved the way for all these things to happen. For Christ's kingship to be manifested and his rule over us to be uh, implemented. Christ's resurrection means we're one day going to see the living Savior. We're going to see his glory. Jesus prayed in John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. So it was Christ being raised from the dead, being ascended. His return is going to enable us to see his glory one day. The great vision of the glorified Christ is what awaits us in the future. Now, one more point here in this verse 3 is this. We have a living hope because Jesus rose from the dead. He calls us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection. It's interesting that almost most places when the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is mentioned in the New Testament, it just doesn't say he was resurrected, but he was resurrected from the dead. That phrase is usually included in there. For example, Galatians 1.1, Paul says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So I think what the texts are doing here is they're showing that Jesus' death was a real death, that he really died. It was a real resurrection. It was a historical event. It was that thing that's anchored in the history of the world that assures and secures our salvation. Jesus' resurrection is permanent. Because his resurrection is permanent, our salvation is permanent. Jesus will not die again. The scriptures are clear. Hebrews 7.25 says he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus always lives. He died once for sin but he's coming back to receive us to himself. Romans 6.10 says for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive. The disciples saw him and fellowshiped with him and talked with him and ate with him and touched him. Ten different occasions we know of over a 40-day period. Our faith rests on this historical fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. As the crops depend on the rain to grow, as the earth depends on the sun for light and warmth, as man depends on air to breathe, so we depend on Christ's resurrection from the dead to grant to us, his people, every spiritual blessing in Christ, including and especially the new birth. 
You see, it was God's action in Christ raising him from the dead that had the purpose, the intention of dying in place of his people with the result that they would be saved and cleansed of their sins and brought into the fellowship of the living Christ. So, the new birth. It's a great and wonderful thing. And it's anchored in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let us give thanks today that our spiritual birth is dependent on Christ's resurrection from the dead. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you that you raised your Son from the dead and many blessings resulted from that. And one of the chief being that enabled the Holy Spirit to be poured out from heaven to come into our hearts and give us spiritual birth, to give us spiritual life. We thank you that our spiritual birth is rooted and grounded in Christ's resurrection from the dead. We thank you in his precious name we pray. Our response him is going to be chosen by the Father's mercy. So let's stand as we sing. Chosen as his children. This is a new song.